episode of Pulp Today. I'm David Avalone, your host, and as I'm sure you noticed from the title of uh, this episode, we're going to talk about Ross McDonald. I discovered Ross McDonald when my father gave me a copy of The Way Some People Die, which he thought was one of the best examples of the genre. Uh, he had an expression, my father, uh, about mystery writers that you had the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost. The father, of course, was Dashiell Hammett. The son was Raymond Chandler, who we've talked about in previous episodes, and uh, the Holy Ghost was Ross McDonald. I'm going to cheat a little bit, and instead of reading something from McDonald's uh, writing, fictional writing, uh, I have a copy of Archer in Hollywood, really great collection of three of his novels, including The Way Some People Die. Uh, but the introduction to the three novels is a particularly great little Ross McDonald piece of writing about his career and particularly about how he fits in with Hammett and Chandler. Uh, and there's also a nice little Easter egg in there that I did not see coming when I started reading this forward uh, about five, ten years ago when someone gave me this book as a, a gift. Uh, the person who gave me this book as a gift was also unaware of the Easter egg, which was nice. So without further ado, here's uh, Ross McDonald telling a little bit of how he got started. Omnibuses are often posthumous. It's nice, for me at least, that this one isn't. Perhaps I can dispel the faint odor of embalming fluid that hangs around such collections by recalling how these early books got written. The war had a great deal to do with it, with my becoming a professional writer. It plucked me out of graduate school, gave me a rough, short course in American geography and society, and sent me back to my native California. It provided me with the subject matter for my first two books, which were spy novels. In a way, it gave me matter for all my books. Crime, as the moving target seems to imply, is often war continued by other means. My Navy discharge papers, March 1946, said hopefully that my first choice for civilian employment was freelance writer in California. We lived that year in a four-room stucco house on Bath Street in Santa Barbara. It had orange trees in the backyard, but no central heating. My wife and I used to sit and write in our overcoats. It was a lucky, slightly chilly year, and by the end of it I had written two books, Blue City and The Three Roads, which Alfred Knopf liked well enough to publish. The next year wasn't so lucky. I felt it was now my duty to write an autobiographical novel about my depressing childhood in Canada. I tried and got badly bogged down in sloppy feelings and groping prose. I began to doubt my vocation as a writer, and my mind turned back toward the comparative safety of graduate school. I was in trouble, and Lou Archer got me out of it. I resembled one of his clients in needing a character to front for me. Like many other writers, the most extreme example I know, who wrote from fiction from the point of view of his pet turtle, I couldn't work directly from my own experiences and feelings. A narrator had to be interposed, like protective lead, between me and the radioactive material. Raymond Chandler had recently shown in a brilliant series of novels how a private detective could be used to block off over personal excitements while getting on with the story. Archer in his early days, though he is named for Sam Spade's partner, was patterned on Chandler's Marlowe. Chandler's Anglo-American background and my Canadian-American one gave our detectives a common quality. The fresh, suspicious eye of a semi-outsider was fascinated but not completely taken in by the customs of the natives. We shared, for related reasons, a powerful interest in the American colloquial language. Democracy is as much a language as it is a place. If a man has suffered, 
as we both had, under a society of privilege, the American vernacular can serve him as a kind of passport to freedom and equality. Marlowe and Archer can go anywhere, at least once, and talk to anybody. Their rough-and-ready brand of democracy is still peculiarly rampant on this side of the sphere of Nevada. If California is a state of mind, Hollywood is where you take its temperature. There is a peculiar sense in which this city existing mainly on film and tape is our national capital, alas, and not just the capital of California. It's a place where our children learn how and what to dream, and where everything happens just before or just after it happens to us. American novelists have a lover's quarrel with Hollywood. We have grown accustomed to losing it. Our finest novelist, Scott Fitzgerald, felt in his uncertain last years that the art of film was the master art that had superseded the novel. The hero of his last unfinished novel was a movie producer. My lover's quarrel with Hollywood began at the age of seven when, on successive Saturday afternoons in my uncle's theater, I formed a precocious attachment to Pearl White. The quarrel and the attachment have since taken more devious forms, as you can see if you read these three novels. One thing that strikes me in rereading them, over and above their recurrent fascination with Hollywood, is their use of film techniques. The Moving Target, in particular, is a story clearly aspiring to be a movie. It was no accident that when Warner Brothers made it into one last year, they were able to follow the story virtually scene by scene. I remember how I labored over those scenes, striking them out in heat and then reworking them over and over for more than a year. I was no longer writing at home. My sister-in-law, Dorothea Schlegel, had an apartment nearby on Sola Street. It was vacant all day while Dorothy was at work, and I wrote there. By 1950, when I wrote The Way Some People Die, Dorothy had moved to a house on the far side of town, and I rode over every morning on a motor scooter. The labor I'd put into forming a style in Target had begun to pay off. Rummaging through old papers the other day, I found the opening paragraph of Way written out in a spiral notebook for the first and final time, just as it was to be printed. Some of my colleagues, Mike Avalone is one, think that Way is the best of my 20 books. I hope it isn't. If it were, it would mean I'd been over the hill for 16 or 17 years, which is the unthinkable dread of every writer past the age of 40. The Barbarous Coast was written when I was 40. Though I've always been a slow developer, by that time I was getting myself and my form under more personal control. It was my largest book by far, in both social range and moral complexity. In it, I was learning to get rid of the protective wall between my mind and the perilous stuff of my own life. I'm not and never was George Wall, the angry young Canadian lost in Hollywood. But I once lived, as George did, on Spandina Avenue in Toronto. Like the three young divers in the story, I was, on a t I was a tower diver before my bones got brittle. And I once went to a party, not wholly unlike the long party in the book. We writers, as we work our way deeper into our craft, learn to drop more and more personal clues. Like burglars who secretly wish to be caught, we leave our fingerprints on the broken locks, our voice prints in the bugged room, our footprints in the wet concrete and the blowing sand. That's Ross MacDonald introducing The Moving Target, The Way Some People Die, The Barbarous Coast. Dad did always think that Way Some People Die was his best novel. I haven't read enough MacDonald to form a real uh, opinion of my own about that. But I thought it was delightful to see uh, Ross do a shout out to Dad in the introduction to these books. Pick up some Ross McDonald, particularly those three, and enjoy. Till next time. For more information, visit pendantaudio.com. Thanks for listening.